0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey everyone, thanks for joining this Swirl Sweep Today we have a very special guest, his name is Thatcher Baker Briggs. Thatcher is a 30-year-old sommelier who is fast becoming a modern day trailblazer for minorities and millennials in the wine industry. Thatcher started out his wine journey as a dishwasher in Canada at 13 years old, working his way up to picking bottles for the NBA. Today Thatcher is well known for parlaying his stints at elite restaurants from Tokyo to San Francisco. He started his own private wine consultancy where he procures the rarest vintages and bottles for an international clientele list of venture capitalists, tech founders, and NBA athletes. Listen to his full story here. And guess what? Don't check out early because Tanisha tells us all about her trip to Italy at the very end of our episode. Cheers. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody, and happy Wine Wednesday. Uh, It's really hot in D.C., (laughs) so um, I'm sure you are drinking lots of beautiful white wines and lots of sparkling wines. We're going to talk about Chenin Blanc a little later with our special guest, but um, I just want to give you a very warm welcome to the Swell Suite. Thatcher, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, inviting me to the show. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, yes, we are excited to have you. Please introduce yourselves to everybody.
1: Um, yes, yeah, so my name is uh, Thatcher Baker Briggs. Um, I was born in, in Canada, uh, moved to the U.S. about uh, 10 or uh, about 11 years ago, I guess now. I um, was lucky to have dual citizenship, so it was kind of easy for me to, to, to move over here. Um, and yeah, and now um, I'm, I have a company called TWC or Thatcher's Wine Consulting, and um, what we do is we help make the uh, wine process a little bit easier for wine collectors and so uh, we help them source wine uh, we help them set goals for their collection or cellar or drinking um, we help to uh, with the logistics whether they need wine in a specific place or for a specific dinner or for friends or guests uh, we just the aim is really to simplify that process and take um It can be really time-consuming and we hope that we can make it a little simpler for them.
0: Tanisha has joined us. Hey, Tanisha, how are you?
1: Hey, Tanisha.
2: (laughs) Hello, how's everyone?
0: I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So Thatcher just gave us uh, his introduction. So Thatcher, what's your original, like how did you get started in wine? Because you got started pretty young. You got your Psalm certification at 22, I read.
1: How did that get started? You know, it's been a whole it's been my whole life. Uh, I started cooking when I was when I was 13. Um, and but was interested in food years before that probably nine or 10. I, I was kind of inspired by like, Asian cuisines, uh, different ingredients, different cooking techniques, I don't really know what exactly kind of sparked that inspiration. Uh, but it did. And I just couldn't get out of it. And um, so yeah, I started cooking and uh, originally from Canada. So Uh, in Ontario um, you know spent time there until I was about 18 and then as soon as I could leave I searched out um, what was I thought one of the coolest restaurants in uh, the country which was happened to be on the other side of the country Uh, and Canada's huge so it's uh, (laughs) it was a big trip Uh, so I moved to Vancouver moved back to Ontario to work with another chef that I was excited about uh, ended up moving to San Francisco to get involved in, um, you know, the Michelin star world, uh, started working at Croix, which was a two Michelin star restaurant at the time. And that was really sort of that first, you know, introduction to some of the finer wines of the world. I mean, I was all, there, wine is always around when you're in a restaurant, but when you're cooking, you really tend to just focus on cooking and not anything else. And after work, you, you, you drink a lot of beer and, and some whiskey and that's about it. And so, um, which is not bad, you know, I'm not, I wasn't mad about that at the time, but uh, once I got a, a little taste, I, I was really inspired. And, um, you know, after that moment for me was about 10 years into working in restaurants. And I realized that I never wanted to be a chef that um, didn't pay attention to what was happening in the dining room. I wanted to be a well-rounded business owner. I wanted to understand, how service worked, how wine worked, how reservations worked. Um, and so I got into wine, I started reading books. And um, for anybody that knows me, it's a, <laughs> my personality is very sort of uh, obsessive. And so I uh, I dove in and couldn't get out and um, spent 12 hours a day just studying and, and, and reading about wine and spending my entire paycheck on uh, tasting wine. And it was, it was funny because, so you can drink in Canada at 18 or 19, depending on which province you're in. And I, at, at that age, I really didn't even like to, I didn't like the effects of drinking wine. It just didn't make me feel good. And, uh, but I love the way that it tastes. I love the story. And, and as I kind of went through it, I started to appreciate it a, a lot more and, and actually could, could drink the wine, but I would just taste it and, um, <laughs> and then kind of move on to the next one. Um, so I just started studying and, um, as soon as I turned 21, I, uh, I flew back to San Francisco to take the introduction exam for the Court of Masters Sommeliers. Um, and uh, well, I think it was about six months after I turned 21, I flew out to take that exam. And then uh, six months later, I took the, the, certif- the certified Sommelier exam in New York um, and then decided to really pursue you know, the Somali lifestyle or in the dining room and, and kind of gain a better understanding of what that was all about. Um, so I moved back to San Francisco and spent some time at um, Cezanne restaurant, uh, which was another two Michelin star restaurant that had uh, an absolutely epic wine list of probably three, four thousand selections at the time of just all of the craziest, oldest, rarest Burgundy, Champagne, Rhone, uh, Bordeaux, Italian. It was really an incredible list. And it was a sort of um, it was like this high speed path through tasting all these wines. Like I, I tasted things that I had only dreamed of my first day. I, w- I was drinking a glass of Latosh and the second day I was drinking Latour and Luton. It was this really amazing time for the restaurant and in in. in entirely spoiled in in terms of what we were what we were tasting and, and and honestly drinking because you know being such a small restaurant we had seven tables a lot of guests you build this really amazing connection with that they're like hey I brought in this bottle of wine have you ever had this like you need to pour yourself a glass like drink the wine don't taste the wine um and and that was really how I got into wine um I wanted to make my own path and do something a little bit different than what I had seen a lot of other Somalis or cooks do. Um, so decided to follow my my dreams and um, and I moved to Tokyo without um, a job <laughs> in just hopes that my resume would uh, would get me into um, into the right places, uh, which I was very lucky to find an amazing job. Um, and again, that was a, an amazing experience to see a, how another culture drinks wine, um, how they describe wine, and you learn a lot about yourself, I think when you, well, when I was 23, I think, or 24 at the time, so it's really young, uh, maybe, or maybe it was 20, 24 or 25, it was young, Um, I didn't speak Japanese, Um, you know, I wanted to think that I understood the culture, but nobody understands the culture, even sometimes Japanese people, Um, and when you can't speak a language and you need to learn how to describe wine to somebody, it's (laughs) an interesting uh, uh, moment in patience and communication, Uh, and I learned a lot about myself, uh, a lot about how to interact with with guests, um, communicate with people. Um, it was a really amazing experience. Um, and then decided to move back to San Francisco after a couple of years of honestly drinking probably the best I've ever drank in my entire life was Japan. I it was, I said Cezanne was a small restaurant. We had seven seats, or sorry, seven tables. Um, the restaurant in, in Tokyo was called Takazawa. We had 10 seats in the entire restaurant. Um it was <laughs> pretty amazing um, and the the wines that we were opening there on a regular basis were uh, truly something special and um, uh, was even more spoiled.
0: Wow that that's fascinating. Wow, I, I have so many questions, but I guess I'll just start with this one. What's the major difference between the way the folks drink wine in Tokyo versus, the U.S.
1: That's interesting. I, I well, for starters, I think wine in Japan is just really—it's um, been a thing, but but kind of not really. Um, there, there's been a lot of really amazing collectors in Japan for a long time, but it's a very small portion of the of the population. It's not really part of the 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 culture yet, uh, but it's quickly becoming. And so I think when when that is the case. Um, people seem to be almost even more excited ab- about it because it's something that isn't around as much. And so a lot of the Japanese guests that would come into the restaurant would just be very trusting. And, and in fact, there's hardly even wine lists um, in Japan. And I think that's a huge difference. When you go to a restaurant, you just say to this chef, like, I want to drink champagne today. And then the chef goes into the wine cellar uh, with and comes back 15 minutes later with four bottles of champagne, puts them on the table and says, which one do you want? <laughs> it's a really interesting experience, more so because you have no idea about how much the wines cost. Um, and <laughs> that often is not the uh, reason, that's often not the, um, uh, the first thing that the chef thinks about. He just picks four bottles of wine that he wants that he thinks is going to work with the food. And um, so that's always kind of interesting. Um, But there's a lot of trust. Um, They're very, you know, Japanese people are just like, yeah, like if you you think it's amazing, let's do it. And I think here in the U.S., um, you know, it's obviously not a bad idea. And I would recommend to anybody um, to ask, you know, a lot of questions if you were to ever go to a restaurant like that here in the U.S. because it's, you know, it's important. But definitely, I think, you know, it goes both ways. I think a guest trusting the the, the chef and or sommelier is, is great. Um, but I also think at the same time, a lot of uh, US sommeliers need to also understand exactly what the guest wants. And it can't just be something that like, well, I had this really crazy orange wine from Slovenia, so like I'm gonna give it to this person who likes napa cabernet because they said I can pick whatever I want. To me, that's kind of a miss. So I think I think that those are some pretty significant differences between um, between that. But Japan, for anybody that's into wine, if you ever go, there's like just magical wine bars that exist there with things that you just could never find anywhere else.
0: Hmm. Tanisha, so same question for you. What is the biggest difference between the way Americans drink wine and the way that French drink wine?
2: The French definitely drink it on a more casual basis. It is just a thing that's at the table, like how in America, ketchup is at the table, salt and pepper, Coca-Cola. They drink wine like that. Um, And when they talk about wine, they're not necessarily talking about the grapes themselves, but they're talking about the soil and the sunlight and the rainfall they're talking about all of that and then you might even get like a little story of uh the winemaker they're definitely into smaller brands smaller houses um, and that kind of thing not big conglomerate uh type things so hmm. those are just a couple differences
0: all right very good point uh so thatcher back to you what are some of the services that you offer with your consulting business? You mentioned that you help build, um, I guess, wine collections for people's homes. I do not know how to build a wine collection because I'm I'm a drinker. I pretty much drink everything. I might save a bottle or two for a special occasion. But like what are you where do I begin? What do you tell people to begin?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, everyone is a little different. In terms of what a wine collection is, and for some people, that a wine collection could be twenty-four bottles, right? And for others, it could be twenty-four thousand bottles. So there's a huge difference between um, what everyone needs and, and wants. And I think, um, I think uh, you know, the the number one thing in terms of importance when you're going out and um, starting a collection, whether again, whether it's 24 bottles, hundred bottles, a thousand, 24,000, is to make sure that you have uh, a well-rounded uh, collection. And, and I think it's important to have um, wines to drink now. And I think that's the hardest part for people that start a collection. And, and just let's say like something, a small collection of just a couple hundred bottles, it's really hard to get to those couple hundred bottles unless you have champagne, white wine, red wine in your house, ready to drink at any moment of time. Because if you just go out and you're buying whatever the top of your budget is, because you want to age these wines, you're going to go to those wines first um, and drink them. And then you won't be able to collect anything. So I think for anybody that, that's out there that's thinking about starting uh, a wine collection, Get a case of champagne, a case of white, a case of red, and then start building on top of that. And if your budget's a little bit bigger, then you can up the amount that you can buy for sure. But depending on how much you want to spend, I think that that's really um, the way to go. And um, you know, that's how we how we start it. Uh, We also you know take time, sit down with the clients for dinner or go to their house, you know whatever it may be, open bottles of wine, taste through it with them, learn their tastes. Maybe we put together curated cases for them on a uh, monthly basis so that they can try some new things. Um, There's a lot of ways to go about creating a a collection. Obviously, if you want, if you have zero bottles of wine at home and you want a 10,000 bottle cellar, it's going to be a lot of work. (laughs) Uh, Whereas if you want to have just a really nice uh, wine fridge at home with a great selection of wines, um, it's not... That it's less work. Um, it just means actually that we need to tailor it even a little bit more s- specifically because, uh, you know, theoretically speaking, a hundred bottles of wine could definitely be consumed in far less than a year's time. You know, um, and so uh, that's yeah, that's really kind of how we how we approach it. Um, yeah, in other services, I mean, a lot of things that we do are. Uh, event basis as well where you know clients want to have a curated dinner they reach out and they say uh, hey you know what I, I really love this wine it would be amazing to put together 30 different vintages of these wines can you help arrange and I'll invite friends um, lately we've been arranging a lot of wine to go to uh, like vacation um, places whether they're they have a yacht and they're going, we have someone right now going to Monaco and he's like, oh, I need, you know, six cases of wine in France in two weeks. And so we kind of have to figure out those logistics. So, um, we help with that process as well.
2: Very nice. This part, but how did you go from sommelier in Japan to curating collections, getting clients, you know, that kind of thing that, um, you just described.
1: So I, um, so after Tokyo, um, I, I went back to Cezanne um, and I, and I was the director of, um, service and beverage. Um, and I had kind of a unique role, uh, where I was tying all of the different departments of the restaurant together. So I worked with the sommelier team, the service team, the bar team, the chefs, and tried to make the way that everyone worked, uh, and ultimately provided service for the guests as efficient. Uh, as possible, um, in in doing so, and having spent so, you know so many years at, at Cezanne, because I was there for like four years in total, uh, which is not I guess like that long of a time, but it's in a in a three Michelin restaurant it is <laughs> sometimes a long time. Um, I got to know a lot of uh, a lot of guests uh, on a really intimate level, and I think especially when I came back from Japan, I had a very different mindset. I think initially. When you're in this Michelin star environment, you have a very, a lot of people tend to have a very acting sort of mentality. And I, and I used to say this to the staff a lot at Cezanne and I said, Hey guys, we're not pretending to work at a three Michelin star restaurant. We are working at a three Michelin star restaurant. It's okay to show your personality. And I think what I saw a lot in Japan working in such a tiny restaurant was that people, Come to this restaurant not only for the food, but because they love the people who work in that restaurant, and that really helped me emulate that a lot when I came back to the U.S. Um, and so, so, so guests at the time just naturally were like, "Well, every time I come to the restaurant, you just pick out wine for me." Kind of using that sort of almost Japanese mentality, they're like, "So, can you just do this at my house and help me fill up my cellar?" And so. I said, yeah. And I, and I didn't ever think anything of it. Um, I just said, sure, I can help you get some wine for your house. And it ended up being a very large cellar. Um, and I was like, huh, like there's something here. Like this is a really hard process. Like this person wants a couple of thousand bottles. Well, if you want a couple of thousand bottles shipped to your house, that's, you know, a hundred cases of wine. That's a lot of wine too. It's a lot of boxes, it, you know, just the, the, putting it away is such a big process, knowing what to pick. And so I said to myself, there's definitely um, there's definitely something here. And um, a, like a lot of decisions that I've made in my life, whether it be to just get up and move to uh, Vancouver or get up and move to San Francisco or Tokyo or go to spend several months in Europe and not really like thinking about it, just being able to sort of react and um, be adapted to the situation, I just said, I want to start my own business, I'm going to do it and um, decided to go out um, on my own after that. So that's kind of how I started getting um, starting the business. Yeah,
3: I came in as such a good part. I'm like, hmm. right. I, my question for you
0: is like, do you have Tanisha? Do you do y'all have wine collections? Do you collect wine?
3: I do. Really?
2: You collect it for like your life, or you collect it for like drink for the weekend? Because like I've collected some wine today to drink Saturday. <laughs> I mean, that's so, like I've collected favorite. it, right?
3: That's not. What I you're, thought that was just a purchase. Oh.
2: Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I think I inadvertently started collecting because I joined several wine clubs. Mm. And, um, and so I, I do have several bottles that, um, that I collected. And to be honest with you, the other day I was looking at them on the racks or what have you and I was like, I think I need to go through this because I think with Thatcher, like the wine that he's purchasing, probably it's age worthy wine, Right. But the wine that I have probably does not have the shelf life that Mm. I would love it to have. And so to go through and decide, oh, this, you know, maybe I should share some of this with friends or what have you, because even though I'm storing it properly, I don't think it will be um, enjoyable in 10 years from now.
0: Mm. I would love um, just a sparkling wine collection.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would love that. And I, I know like when people think of like collecting sparkling wine, you automatically go to champagne, but I feel like there are other sparkling wines that are age worthy. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love that. That would be awesome.
1: I mean, I could probably drink. In fact, I mostly do, but could pretty much just drink champagne every day for our- the rest of my well, life I'd probably be pretty happy, you know
0: <laughs> yeah oh, of course
3: <laughs> it was um you know this is the the level of my sophistication of my TV watch but I don't I don't know if you remember the will the real housewives of Potomac and she created a champagne room.
0: Yeah uh uh-huh. I remember that but, huh? yeah yeah and I also, uh, me and Alan, we did a little staycation in like the DuPont Circle, Georgetown area this weekend. And we went to this place called Alero. Is it Alero? Am I saying that right? I think it's Alero. I forgot the name, but it begins, begins with an A and it's in Georgetown and it's a champagne caviar bar. And la la. It, it, it was lovely. It, it was absolutely stunning. Um, it's it's small, but in its acquaintance in a quaint little neighborhood, and I was like, Can you imagine living across the street from this place? Wow, I would really be broke because I'd be here every day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it'll probably get old. Champagne and caviar, though, like, I don't think it will ever get old.
0: Imagine you making friends with a manager and just going over there once a week, like, Hey, so give me something different today.
2: Okay, once a week. Okay,
1: could definitely do Okay,
2: No, that will work yeah. out. <laughs> You know, like rewind, you know all like stuff the same. <laughs> they would change it up for you. Mm. No, because they probably would say, hey, guess what? Just just what we just got in.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so Thatcher, where do you get your wine from? Like how do you uh, how does that process even work when you're getting it imported from other places?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's I I, I would say of 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 all I mean. I would say the of all of the things that we do uh sourcing the wine is definitely the the most challenging and time consuming. Um I think um you know people are looking for really really specific things. Um it doesn't mean that everything is expensive. In fact, there's bottles of wine that cost uh you know 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 dollars a bottle that people are you know, begging for on Instagram or emails or trying to purchase as many as they can possibly find. Um, Sourcing is a challenge. Um, We, we, we have uh, an import license, which makes things a little bit easier. You know, we really focus on um, a lot of Europe, we we pretty much only focus on European wines. So Mm -hmm. champagne, uh, German Riesling, um, you know, Spanish varieties. I love Madeira from Portugal. Um, I love the history and and stories of a lot of the European um, varieties Um, so that definitely makes the process much easier Uh, we're lucky to have some really great clients that have the have amassed these really incredible collections over the years that are you know 50 60 70 pushing 80 years old that are like well I'm 75. So I guess I don't need (laughs) 15,000 bottles of wine anymore. Uh, Can you help me sell some? And so it kind of keeps this really beautiful circle so that, you know, maybe they sell 50 or 60% of their collection. And then they just want to replace it with some really great bottles that they really want to drink. And, you know, they're understanding that, you know, when you're 70, you're, you're getting up there when you're 80, you're getting up there. So Um, but like that is the number one thing that we spend the most time on is finding the wines and in curating the wines we never want to be this um, you know no offense to wine.com they're an incredible business but um, I think that like it's such a big company that we really want to uh, be a little more boutique we really want to uh, have things that are curated, where the inventory is um, ever changing, and you come back and you find new exciting things. And you can think about it just like the the caviar champagne scenario. There's we have we are really lucky on the we have a uh, an e-commerce platform where we you know anybody can go on. You don't we don't need to kind of curate your selection. People go onto the site, and I see people placing an order for a bottle two three times a day sometimes. And it's just because we're constantly putting new wines and they keep checking back and they're having fun and they're not always, you know, really crazy, big, expensive wines. Sometimes they're just 15, 20, 30 bucks, but it's what that shows me is that people get excited about, you know, these offerings that we're, that we're spending the time, uh, on, on doing, you know,
2: you mentioned your process. Can you just, um, like kind of walk us through that, say, um, a client or a potential client, I reach out to you and say, I would like to curate a collection of 20 bottles. Right. And then what do you
1: do? Yeah. So I, yeah, we, we really scale everything. And I, I think so, uh, at that, at that level where somebody's saying, Hey, I just need a case or two cases. You know, we have our own inventory of things and from a variety of ranges of prices. So really Um, And we get this email right before I jumped on. There was an email that came in that said, Hey, I I have a budget of $150 a month. Like, can you just pick wine out for me and send it to me? I I trust you to pick whatever you think. So, you know, everything starts kind of in the same, you know, process. We get an email or an inquiry that comes in um, whether it's mail or phone call or whatnot. And we follow up and we, we figure out what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then from there we if it's a much more substantial collection that you're trying to start where you're going to be spending a pretty significant amount of money you know we'll put together a proposal for you and we generally will work on a on an annual retainer basis with you so we can set these goals if somebody says hey i just need a, a case or two cases of wine we'll have a call with you uh, or exchange a couple emails you can tell us what you what you really like and then we'll go through Uh, you know, all of our selections, hit your budget, hit your quantity. And then it's as simple as that. And we just uh, send it off to you, ship it to you. And then, you know, a lot of times we've had clients reach out and they're just like, Hey, I need, I would just like for you to do 12 bottles every single month, 300 bucks, 400 bucks, whatever it is. And just ship it to me. This is what I like. Super simple, super easy. Um, We just, and just keep it changing every single month.
2: And is there a way, like for some of the larger collections um, that you work with, do you also, is there an inventory management system or some kind of way for them to be able to track, understand everything that they have?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we, I, I would still say today the, the the best platform for inventory management is Seller Tracker. Um, I've yet to see anything that's any better than that uh, or more robust. The thing that's really beautiful about it um, is you enter all your lines. You can assign them a location. If you have uh, you know, two homes or you have uh, two wine fridges and you want to know exactly where things are, you can say one is at home and one is in the garage. Um, and then it also tells you uh, the valuation of it, which is great. Um, so you can keep track of like, oh, I forget how much this bottle costs. It's in there for you. Um, and then i really i think the the best the reason why celery Tracker is the best is it's the number one database in the world for wine tasting notes and it's all community so if you're looking for a bottle of wine and you're um you know in a shop or uh you're in your house or whatever and you're like i you type in the line and it all of you know 100 200 a 1, thousand five people whatever whoever has tasted that wine, it gives it to you in chronological order. So you can say, Oh, like this 2010, this person six months ago said it's drinking really well. Great. So that's, I'm going to, I'm going to drink that bottle tonight because it gives it's giving me a basis of, of uh, some information of if it's ready to drink or, or not. So cellar tracker is definitely number one. Some people don't want anything at all. Some people are just like, I like to go into my cellar and just like pull out bottles and see what looks good. Uh, it, <laughs> I I don't recommend that method, but like, if that's how you want to go about it, for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of ways, but Cellar Tracker, I think is still number one.
0: Let's talk about Chenin Blanc for a second. Um, I was told to bring this up with you because uh, Chenin Blanc is very special to you. And it's one of my favorite grapes. It's one of my favorite wines. Um, I don't even have a, like a particular region that I, like the most I just love the grape I like I like how different it can be depending on where it's from so tell us about your love for Chenin Blanc and the trend that you may see coming up
1: yeah I think I mean Chenin is a really exciting grape um I it it, you you said it you said it well I I think there isn't really a, a grape maybe maybe Riesling um would be the other wine that you see uh as in many different types and, and forms and styles, but Chenin could be, it could be a sparkling wine. Uh, it could be a still white wine. Um, it could be a little bit sweet, it could be not sweet at all. It could be incredibly sweet. Um, it's made in many different countries. Um, I think for me, the standard basis for Chenin Blanc is definitely the Loire Valley in France. Um, they make, Again, all different styles of wines, um, but I think for me that is really—they work with so many different types of foods. Um, it, it's an exciting grape, and I see a lot of—I see a lot of younger people getting uh, getting exciting getting excited about it because a lot of Chenin comes in at a pretty reasonable price point, which is a great way to see a serious wine. Um, I think you know I love Burgundy, for example but an entry-level white Burgundy prices out 95% or more of wine drinkers. And Shannon is at a much more um, reasonable price point. And for, you know, 20 or $30 a bottle, you can be drinking like a truly inspiring bottle of wine. Whereas 20 or $30 in Burgundy, like you're not, you might get a half bottle of something not very good. And like, so uh, I always lean towards Shannon.
0: So what Shenan's do you have in your collection?
1: Um, I love some of the old sweet wines um, from Huet. That's, that is, for me, the, one of the greatest uh, sweet wine producers in the world. Uh, I think a lot of people think of like Chateau Iquem, which is an amazing wine for sure. But I think some of these old um, these, Shen- these Huet are really uh, uh, magical. So I have some really old stuff. I just turned 30 in April and opened up, um, I was born in in 91 and 91 wasn't really a particular great vintage. And so I luckily found this in by far the oldest. It was such a weird wine. It was a sweet sparkling Chenin Blanc, uh, from 1919. It was like the, one of the craziest wines that I've ever, ever tasted. It was delicious. Um, but I had, yeah, it's, it's such a weird wine. Um, a friend of mine sold it to me a couple years ago and I've just been sitting on it waiting for something a special day and I figured 30 was the would be the the day
0: and I'm sorry did did I hear you right did you say 1919
2: yeah that's what I was going to ask the same question
1: Yeah, 1919 it it was it was wow it was still
2: fine it wasn't you know
1: it was uh, amazing it was amazing so when what happened? They sold the they sold the winery um, a few years ago, and uh, the new owners came in and sold off all of the old reserves. And so the 1919 was the oldest wine that existed in the cellar. And uh, I w- was lucky to get one bottle of it. And uh, not only was it amazing because it was sweet, but they also it was also sparkling, which is just not a style of wine that you see anymore. Um, and I was with a friend of mine who's this really massive wine collector from from the UK, and he was just like, "I've never had anything like this before in my life." It was it was a really cool <laughs> moment. So, um, but on the on the other side, not the, such the crazy spectrum. Um, I love I love Yiberko. That's really um, has always been a, a favorite trend. And so they're from the Loire Valley. Um, they make um, they make a dry style, really clean, really precise. You can drink them. You can drink them young. You can age them for, for, you know, quite some time they have uh, it's coming from some So they have just a Sommar Blanc, which is at like a beautiful price point of 25, $30. It probably drinks like a $70 bottle of wine. I highly suggest it for anybody that's like looking to get into Shannon. Um, and then they have like single vineyards that get a little more serious in price point. Um, and but it's really, really an exciting producer. That's always been one of my favorites, for sure.
2: Hmm. Wow. So, Shannon can age because a lot of people don't think when they think about aging wines. That's not when they think about. So that is something that can happen. Yes.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think. I think really. I think more people would be surprised um, as to what can age than than people think and I think a testament to that is really what's happening right now in the wine is in the wine scene is uh, everybody's searching out old Napa Cabernet and um and by old I mean stuff from like 50s 60s and 70s nobody at that time thought that these wines would ever last 50 years no it's just you know people didn't except for a few people that have held on to them and they're really truly amazing and so I think A lot of wines, you know, if you keep your wine in a temperature-controlled wine fridge out of the sun and don't move it around too much, uh, laying down on its cork, you'd be surprised that even a $15 or $20 bottle of Chenin Blanc will last a year or two years or three years or more sometimes, depending on what the producer is. Um, I think you'll probably find a little bit more age-worthy examples in France than perhaps you might find um, from, you know, Clark or, you know, some stuff from some stuff from South Africa is age-worthy, but sometimes it's made to be in a much more drinkable style. Um, but if you're in France and you're in the Loire Valley, I think all of those wines will last several years and you don't have to worry about it.
3: Patrick, do you see, um, and I apologize if this is a repeat question, do you see... More younger people getting into collecting.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's um, it's definitely a demographic that is exciting to me. Obviously, being super young, I think it's important um to understand where that market is going to go, and and obviously, I'm um, start to build relationships with some of the younger generation because, again, you know, we have some uh some older clients that have been buying for. 40 years. And they're kind of like, well, I don't need to find more wine anymore. In fact, I need to get rid of them. And so working with some of the younger generation is exciting. And, and I would say I'm seeing like 27, 28, 29, 30, 35 year olds getting into, into, into collecting, sometimes buying really big collections and some are just buying, you know, a couple bottles here and there, but I have friends that are, you know, not quite 30 or just a little bit over 30. And it all started kind of the same for them. They started getting into wine. They bought six bottles of something. They had a little wine fridge. And then they tasted a bottle and they're like, wow. And they started reading about it. And then they go out and they buy another bottle and find another bottle. It's definitely a very different way of collecting because 50 years ago wine just wasn't expensive as like it is today it just wasn't well known so 50 years ago you could buy a wine and you could buy cases of it and it would be you know fifty dollars for the whole case of it and now that wine might be worth thousand uh, dollars now every wine is like fifty dollars that these guys are collecting so they're instead of buying cases they're buying ones or twos or threes but it's it's like a bug, like you, you get it. And you're like, Oh, I have this, like, I don't want to buy just one bottle, because I want to drink one now. So I'm going to get two. And then you drink the one bottle, then you're like, Oh, wait, I need to get another one, because it's so good that I want to hold on to it for a special occasion or something like that. Um, So I'm seeing a lot of young people um, getting into wine, whether restaurant industry, uh, the tech industry, athletes, whatever it is, like a lot of people are, it's becoming a it's becoming a, a part of our culture, I think, which is exciting.
2: You've mm. been saying wine collecting and wine collection, and maybe using the term slightly generically. Is there like um, a determining factor between uh, or like um, a clear definition of a wine collector? Is a wine collector someone who, okay, I grab a couple bottles this month, and then maybe in a couple of months, I get another couple bottles? Or is a wine collector someone that contacts you and says, hey, I would like to um, start with uh, 250 bottles and then let's see where we go from there.
1: No, I think, I, think, I, think, I think a wine collector is really anybody that buys wine to drink it at a later date, maybe more than Saturday, I'll say, but um, you know, that plans to kind of hold on to that wine for a little period of time um, and amassing a little bit more as you, as you go. I think really that's the, that's the definition of a collector. I don't think it's a determination of how many bottles that you have. I think the same thing can be said. Like you, you you're not a wine lover because you spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of wine. You're just a person that spends that much money on wine, where somebody that spends $10 or $15 can love wine the same amount. I don't think that has to do with anything. So. Um, You know, a wine collector is just somebody that really the point for me for wine collecting is to be able to be at home alone with family, with friends and have something that you're happy to drink and not have to go to the store to. And I think that's really that's really the whole point of a collection is just to gain access to make it a little bit easier on yourself. Um, I think when you buy wine when it's released for example it's a little bit easier to get whereas maybe after 6 months or a year after it's been released a lot of other people are buying it and you're buying if you're buying a wine with a vintage date it's automatically a limited product because it will never 2018 whatever will never be made again and that's the only example there'll be a 19 there's a 17 but if you want the 18 for whatever specific reason you have to go in and get it. And I think that's really the only um, that's really the definition of a collector. I don't think it's about anything else than that.
0: Um, In your future, do you see like a, um, like a physical location, like a Zaki's where you, you know, you have like a cellar, a large cellar and you age your wine and you have your events at a, like a location?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think after spending so many years cooking and working in restaurants, it's, it's so funny. Like I think, When people ask me, like, oh, you must have left the, you know, being a chef so that you could make more money and, like, have a better life balance, that was never a determination for me. I I just wanted to learn and experience something new. Um, And so, like, I would love to have a restaurant or multiple restaurants where, you know, we could also have an influence, obviously, on what's on the wine list, maybe a little bottle shop inside of one of the restaurants. Um, So I think at some point, there's definitely a physical location. I'm not ready to leave the restaurant industry or hospitality industry completely. I still feel very involved in that. So
0: nice. So our next few questions are going to be a little fun. Um, they're going to be like random questions to, to get to know you and us a little bit better. Sounds okay. Nice. So the first one, so Thatcher. Each week, well, every every time we record an episode for the past year, we've been we've had this dollar amount, and and now we started like one thousand dollars, and I, we're up to eighteen thousand dollars. So my question is, if you received eighteen thousand dollars, what would you do with it?
1: Um, <laughs> if I just if you just gave me eighteen thousand dollars, what would I do with it? Um, I would probably uh, take a portion of it and, uh, in, invest it into the business, but I would probably take a pretty large portion of it and the, I would invest it, um, into my own knowledge. And I would probably take a, I probably put most of it towards a trip to Europe, um, and travel around wine regions and learn as much as I, as much as I could and absorb it as much as I can. Um, I don't think there's anything better than like being in that, um, uh, being in that environment. Mm.
0: Tanisha and Leslie, what about y'all? $18,000.
3: I would travel and I would do the, um, less popular wine regions because it's not my money, right? (laughs) so who cares so like I would it go because she gave it
2: to you so it's yours right
3: well you know I would go to like you work for it? is that what it is okay yeah I would go to like Croatia and Germany and like you know the less romantic exciting ones just you know mm. check it out see what's going on
2: Croatia's yeah. kind of dope though yeah
3: is it mm-hmm.
0: yeah mm. and so what are you doing with your 18k 18k
2: I don't know. I already swam in it. I rolled in it. You got your plastic surgery. Right. I got my plastic <laughs> surgery. Um, so I look 23. Uh, I took the first class high-end vacation. What's left? I started a foundation. I might just hold you, on to this. Okay. You can I give it. You already can bought. Give it you. I already bought expensive wines. Yeah. I, um
3: you can give it to a member of the Swirl Suite. That's a great idea. You can spread it across all of us. Mm-hmm.
2: Since you don't need it. You can't right. do no, it. No, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do at all. I'm holding. hold it. I'm going to hold it. In, you know. Okay. Okay. Let's see.
0: With my 18K, I'm going to pack up and live somewhere else for like a month. So maybe Italy. Let's go to Italy for a month. I could still work. I mean, I'm t- I'm teleworking. Yep. So I would pick up and I would move somewhere and just live there for, for like 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, just I definitely know. do that in Italy off of 18.
1: I mm-hmm. mean Yeah, you could definitely good. do 30 days for easily. You could do I was yeah. thinking like four or five months. You could get you could get away with it in Italy. Mm-hmm. A lot longer I'd have than ways to re-delay if she can't. Oh
3: I- <laughs> I mean, let's, what did you, what, are you thinking about getting like um, a chalet or something like
2: a... a, a you know she's going to be in a Tuscan villa under this... That's tr- right, that overlooks the you coast. Know some that overlooks you, a you, big- you, well, oh, you got
0: to realize, I don't travel bougie. I'm not Glynnis. I may eat and drink bougie, but I, I don't need to stay in a villa. Well. I can stay in a little apartment or something or, you know, something super small.
3: I, I can rough sat. it out. You'd have staff, you know, you know, oh. oh. do your shopping 18K. and cleaning for you. And you've got 18K.
2: Why not? That ain't, a, that ain't Why enough, Why are you cleaning though? yourself?
1: That, that's not enough for 30 That days. ain't
2: enough for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, if that's all you're going to do, then yes. I mean, but if you want to eat as well, then no, mm-hmm. forget it. Okay. No. Got yeah. you. Got you. But no, get you a little cute apartment and then <laughs> also... Try-
0: all right. Next question. Let's just do two more. All right. What is your favorite type of chicken and rice? Like the brown gravy, like the old school kind. Mm-hmm. Okay, the baked. This is also old school. This is what I grew up on. Like the baked with the cream of mushroom or the cream of chicken.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Or the last one, which I saw on your Facebook page, Thatcher, the Singapore oh. style, where it's clean. Yeah. Where, yeah. Which is like, uh, like, but flavorful, but like clean, just chicken and rice.
1: You know. I, I had the uh, cream and mushroom and rice growing up quite a bit. Um, I feel like I'll probably get in trouble for this, but like if my mom was a better cook, that might have been my answer. Uh, uh, but I gotta go with the Singapore style because it's just out of control. She's gonna kill me for that. <laughs> you can't
2: tell her you can't tell her you all here today. But Sorry mom.
1: that's the reason that I became, <laughs> I wanted to become a chef.
3: Because her food was so fast <laughs> oh, Wow! Ooh. Everybody doesn't have a gift. It, she had was had an it. inspiration. That's great. Your, your mother was inspiring. Well, exactly. yeah, it worked. She did what needed to be done.
0: Well, you know, exactly. I'll have you know, my my uncle was a chef, and that is the exact reason he became a chef was my grandmother is not a good cook.
1: <laughs> it works so, it really
0: it, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Et voila. Yeah, uh, Tanisha Leslie. What about you?
2: Chicken and rice. What way? The cream of um mushroom way okay yeah yeah wild yeah. rice, not plain white rice wild rice wild rice a wild rice no yes thing. okay
0: i don't think i've had it like that
3: no hmm. I, I like it with the yeah the chicken and mushroom the smothered chicken mm-hmm. with, um really starchy rice mm-hmm yeah i know i
0: have not had the singapore style rice but i the chicken and rice but i am dying to try because i've seen it on um i believe uh, i don't know if it was anthony bourdain or andrew Zimmern they had it a lot on their shows and it looks so good it's and they ate they ate it with the chopsticks oh my god it looks it looks so good
1: it's out of control see I, i've been to Singapore a couple times and like it's like you go to these they're like food courts but they're outside mm-hmm. um and like there's just like 15 different places for chicken rice and like everyone has their favorite wine and the chickens are like sitting there and they just cut them up and put it rice and like this really cool sort of like almost like chili relish. Mm. It's out of control. I could eat it every day. It's so good. Oh my God, man.
0: Wow. Mm-mm. Okay. Last question. What was the, what was the last wine you drank from a black winemaker?
1: It's a, it's a hard question to answer I think um, I think about it a little bit like when you dine in a restaurant you know it's kind of like is the chef the one that is making your experience wow. um, I think a lot of times the chef or the owner is not even in in the restaurant and it's maybe the bartender or the server or um, whoever it is that really makes uh, makes your experience, and I think I think wine is a lot a lot like that. And you know, knowing that I drink a lot of French wine, there's just not a lot of black winemakers uh, in France. Like when I go to Burgundy, there's no technically labeled black winemakers, but what there are are a lot of black people helping the process to pick the grapes, uh, to help press the grapes, to help with the logistics. And like for really incredible domains and producers, um, so I think that for me, I probably drink, and everybody probably drinks a lot more wine than you think that are actually truly made by Black people uh, than than we think, and their their names just might not be on the on the bottle. So that's mm. kind of how, how I think about it.
0: It's an excellent point.
3: I had um, last night. I had the House of Brown Chardonnay.
0: Oh, oh, nice! Man. That's a nice Chardonnay.
3: It is a very nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: like, is not the
2: SATs.
3: You
0: went through <laughs> a lot not- of them <laughs> over the over the holiday
2: when you came back yeah, from the US. My, I think it. Was, yeah, it was over the holiday, but no, I think yeah. I've had since then. I had the one from um, the south. It's from um, Long
1: roussillon Oh, cool. So that, yeah, there's just not that. If there's not that many in France. It's it, I know two. yeah yeah yeah. it's uh but you know what I, i think that um i think the thing about france specifically or just europe in general is it's a lot of uh it's a lot of generational change it's it's a lot of it just gets passed down from grandfather to you know father to son blah 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 and so um you know eventually there there will be um and i i think things take time um and i uh I hope to see it. And there de- there's definitely, there, when you go when you go to Burgundy and you take the train from Paris to Burgundy, like I was on the train over the summer last year and there was like only black people on the train. There was like no French people, like no white French people on the train. And I, they're all going to Burgundy and for a variety of different reasons. And I think that's, I think it's great. I think it's great to see. And I think we'll start to see that a lot more. Hmm. Wow. Well,
0: my last uh, wine by a black Winemaker was Andre Max uh, Love Drunk, one of my favorite roses. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, one of my faves. Yeah, one. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Thatcher, this was a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank,
2: thank you. you I'm like, me. I have 17 more questions. There.
0: I know, right? <laughs> um, this is great. Yeah, thank it was you. awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Tell everybody where they can follow you before you go.
1: Yeah, it's all the same. So the website is uh, www. Thatcher's Wine uh, the Instagram account, Thatcher's Wine uh, or just Thatcher's Wine Consulting, sorry, for Instagram, Facebook, same thing. Um, you can shoot us an email uh, directly on the site. We have a kind of a cool texting feature. So you can um, just subscribe and you can text with some of the songs, and they can help to answer any wine questions for you. Um, but yeah, by any means, if anyone needs anything, happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, you enjoy the rest of your week and thank you so much again.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You as well. Bye-bye. Thank you,
0: Tanisha, I want to hear about Italy.
2: Italy was great. All right. Italy was fantastic. I ate everything. I drank everything. Italy still boggles my mind with the amount of grapes they have that I've never heard of in my life. Like still, mm-hmm. um, so the wine competition, I went down there to judge. Girl, it's a they gave us a book and they were like, okay, you can write your notes in here, whatever. So I was writing down grapes and, you know, um, taking notes because I'm like, oh, I want to remember some of these because these are good. Then I ran out of pages. I'm like, the wow. book had like 200 pages in. I'm like, have I drunk this much wine? No. How long was the like what, the competition? How long was it? Days? Two, two days. Wow. Two days. Wow. And so we ran through quite a few wines. Um, a lot of Negro Amaro. Um, mm-hmm. Negro Amaro and Primitivo. Those are their um, main grapes. Um, then there were some grapes that I hadn't heard of before. Bombino Bianco and Bombino Nero. Um, Nero De Troia. I was like, well, I'm now in love with this grape. Um, Alianico but we've heard of that one before.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, They had, I had that in a rosé that was so refreshing, this crisp acidity. It almost tasted effervescent. Their rosé, they call them rosado. They come from that region, from Poudia. They're actually dark. So like as dark as like the rosés out of Tavel in France, they come dark like that, like a light red. So, and they were like, no, we don't want that pale pink style. Like our grapes, we wanted to have more, um, our grapes have more flavor and so we want our wines to have more character and so they're darker they're just darker I was like okay girl I believe you I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> it's okay oh that's wonderful oh that's yeah, awesome so um we saw some of the nonas uh the grandma's hand rolling pasta oh girl uh, I know that pasta was so good wrong it was. was like, and I looked around. I was like, uh, luckily, I knew one of the girls on the trip. I was like, girl, give me five euros so I can buy some. I was like, girl, give me some cash. I ain't having cash. I am like, give me five euros so I can buy some pasta. She was like, you want to buy did some? You, pasta? Did you bring any back? Yes. Oh, amen. Mm. Some pasta. They have this snack called Tarali. It's a biscuit. They literally had this biscuit everywhere. It's in a circle um, or like a long loop. And so I, ha- I bought a few of those.
0: What does a biscuit taste like? Like a, like a, Buttermilk biscuit or like a cookie? It,
2: no, it tastes like a cracker. It just tastes like oh. a, like a kind of cracker. Unless you okay. get flavors, like they have some that have different flavors. um But, you know, like that's even what they had at the table for us during the wine tasting, during our own competition. They, mm. they had this biscuit kind of thing for us to taste. Um, so that's
0: I'm giving that's- you
3: guys a tour of my parents' basement.
0: I could <laughs> tell there was your parents' house by the closet door. Oh, yes. <laughs>
2: They're really big in olive oil too. A lot of Mm. we would drive through and uh, we would see the olive trees, and we went to an old olive press that used to be run by donkeys. Hmm. I was like, okay. Um, And then, as a part of the last event, we did a wine tasting at this uh, castle, and you know they had the different wineries and stuff there, and then they also had olive oil producers there, so did a couple olive oil tastings. Um, and I got a couple of samples. I bought some truffle oil, of course. Yes. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but I got it.
0: Girl, mm. Mm. popcorn, pasta, potatoes,
2: every carb you can think of. Exactly. Um, met this lady. I actually interviewed her for wine school dropout and she used to be a sommelier in Italy, but then she wanted to develop this fresh food product, food product. So she makes her own, like, jams, confitures, and, like, little apparel spreads. And so that's her new company that um, she has developed. And uh, she gave me, a, gave me one that's carrot. Because I was like, carrot? She's like, no, you have to taste it. So I tasted it. I was like, oh, these are carrots. It is like a sweet, jammy kind of flavor. It's like mm-hmm. carrot. Who would think carrot jelly? Wow. Girl, that's good it kind of makes it. sense. Because, you know, carrots, carrots have a... Is-
0: they do yeah Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. but you just never think of carrot jelly
3: no Mm -hmm. yeah you're not like oh honey when you're out can you pick up some (laughs) carrot jelly for us
2: (laughs) i really wish i had some carrot jelly for my toast (laughs) right the smoker's carrot just right at the top right the orange one thank you
0: but do you still get that vegetal carrot flavor in the jelly though because that would be bomb on a sandwich
2: I gotta taste it again when I open mm. I'm trying to remember from before, but it was a lot happening then. Yeah. You know charcuterie board. Sandwiches?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You you know yeah. how they had the the Thai sandwiches with the little um oh yeah. Carrots and that mm-hmm. would be good, like the spread on that. Mm.
2: focaccia is amazing. For I mean sure. it's amazing when I've had it here, but then had yeah. some fresh there. Did not have as much dessert as I needed. <laughs> <laughs> I needed more. <laughs> I needed. I was like, "Is tiramisu just like a Northern Italy thing, or is that?" Mm. A, did you at least get some gelato? I did, but like I went out to get it myself. Okay. Um, it was not served. Mm. The one place when we were at the where we were judging, it was a they called a castle. I was like, "Well, it's not like the French chateaus I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> it'll do. It'll do." <laughs> And so they would serve us lunch and dinner um, or whatever. And so they're like, oh, this is dessert. And it would be a bowl of cherries. I
0: was like... Oh, no. Uh -uh. I got cherries at home.
2: I was like, I know cherries and seeds. I'm like, if you don't bake these into a cake... Where is the pie?
3: Did you have like some cream over it or just cherries? When I tell you it was a bowl of cherries with ice in it, I was like, well, this is...
2: In the bottom
3: of know. like did y'all yeah. run out of money? <laughs> yeah, if you roll these cherries and some pastries,
2: something oh, y'all don't have like no flour or nothing and sugar to just like can mm. y'all have these and like a little tart, a tart, nothing. Yeah, something. Hmm. Wow, sis, when I tell y'all <laughs> they brought out and this was like three meals. Mm. I was like, if they bring out them damn chairs one more time, and sure enough.
0: <laughs> stupid. And they're like, well, cherries here are expensive. So I see being excited one time, but not after every meal. I want to like, crack open a crust, like something flaky.
2: I get cherries here. Like, I, yeah, and I'm not a big cherry eater. Maybe since, you know, I'm not used to having them as fresh as they are, but mm. I'm like, okay, maybe with strawberries, I would have got excited at least the first time, but oh, I was like, cherries?
0: That's How about I got someone. I got something better. How about you just take these cherries and go make me a fresh cocktail and squeeze the juice out of these cherries? Then I'll be happy.
2: Wow. Yes. That, yeah. They could have made me a cocktail. I should have mm-hmm. just put some in my purse and made drinks. <laughs> the, hotel. <laughs> the hotel was nice. It was That's like- it. The room was big. I need to I need to post the videos. They mm-hmm. just sit in my phone chilling. Um, it had like a little terrace. Um oh, and cute. A table and chairs cool. out there. And I was like, oh, I want to just sit out here, but I ain't had time. Like they had mm-hmm. us around all over the place. Yeah. Going to see vineyards and on the bus, off the bus, whatever. Um yeah, but it was cool. Got some seafood the first night. So good. Mm. i had a scampi pasta okay. now that dessert was good that night it was a ricotta cheesecake yes Ooh, yeah, yeah yes yeah, yes, yes yes a disaster but i was like no i want that hmm. Hmm. um it was amazing but the scampi pasta was with langoustine hmm. which <gasps> is the whole entire thing i mean wow. all every leg tail all of it by the time i got to like the fifth one i was like i'm tired i'm not i can't uh, Okay. Yeah, I
3: couldn't do that in public. I (laughs) would want to be like sucking the heads and tails, and you can't just be all cute with that, you know. And also, it was in pasta, so
2: Mm -hmm. like then you
0: got to work around. Yeah, that's a lot. Because the pasta
2: sauce was good, so now my fingers are covered in this pasta sauce. I'm licking my finger and trying to lick the, you know, the shell on the low, Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of work. It's not that much meat. It was a lot of meat in the tail, but like Mm -hmm. the oh the no, see, oh, yeah hmm.
0: hmm yeah well I've actually never had one but I've seen it on tv I can see this being a challenge
3: it's it's not it's not cute it's like <laughs> and you know what I hate it's like when you order shrimp and they leave the heads on yeah yeah you're like come on I don't want to put this work in but it's dinner. usually
0: for decorative reasons yeah, but yeah I, I, I don't
3: want that yeah,
0: like yeah, this especially if like I'm out
2: entire body. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially so if I'm not ready goal. for
2: it. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't. But the view from dinner was amazing. So I'm mm-hmm. like, don't complain. Let me shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, now funny. at blue water and boats. Oh Man, and the light reflecting off the water. I was like, is this for life? Like, is this how it works in the mm-hmm. world? Shoot, that's so when you're your like, 18k you and go to Italy. You can go to italy and live it up especially in that part the south yeah <laughs> leslie would you say you need like, you need a man to share I that with We need
3: a man i'll be like central casting please send a man here <laughs> listen <laughs> when
2: they get to 20k that's what i'm gonna pay for all right <sighs> well <laughs> just make Better sure just he's clean mm-hmm.
0: Test results some. all of that Thanks for joining us world sweet guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Leave us a comment. Send us an email. Tell us what you like. Cheers.